Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Tales from Occult Insider. I am your insider, your storyteller, your podcaster, your host, with uh, quite a lot of caffeine consumed today. And I'm going to crash soon after this episode is recorded and published. And hopefully I won't slur any words today. It's been a long week already, even though Monday was a vacation day. I spent most of today thinking it was like Tuesday, but it turned out it was Wednesday. Um, and luckily, just before I was starting to wind down into, uh, after doing some, uh, some, some work, some church work tonight, I remembered I had a, po- an ep- a podcast episode to publish today. And so here we are. Uh, this is episode something, 16, I believe it is. Yeah, episode 16, I had a big problem, part three. So, yeah, that's right. Jared does not script these things. I'm not going to talk about myself in third person anymore. Uh, I don't script these things whatsoever. I just titled them, usually. And in some cases, like in the case of this series of three, I've made a few notes of what I talked about last time, so I don't repeat myself too much. But welcome back to this episode. Just as so you know, I wanna, um, I'm going to actually update the intro to this podcast because some new things have come to light thanks to uh, some input from a few of the uh, two of the young men that I grew up with, who I will just refer to as the twins. Um, had some helpful discussion with them uh, on the Facebooks, and a couple of things came out. So here is the new script, uh, or scripted opening. It's the only scripted part of the whole podcast. So as most of you listeners know by now, I was raised in a cult. It was called the Foundation Faith of God. Now, the Foundation Faith of God started as the process and then the process church of the final judgment, but it had a schism and it divided into people who stayed in the process church of the final judgment and it then went to others who started who went into something called the Foundation. Now, the Foundation had several names. We're not going to get into it. By the time I was aware of things, it was the Foundation Faith of God. So I was never alive in the process. I was just alive in the cult that split off from the process, which originally split off from Scientology. That's interesting. I hadn't quite realized that. Certainly there were artifacts left over from the process church of the final judgment in the group that I was in. You can't just leave that kind of thing behind and be completely uncontaminated by it uh, or uninfluenced by it. However, uh, no, I, it turns out I wasn't p- physically in the process, probably. Uh, maybe for a couple of days of my life I was, but the schism apparently happened soon after. So that's interesting to know. Of course, foundation, the Foundation Faith of God, it, it uh, dwindled over the years after establishing some branches. Uh, it dwindled into all kind of over a couple of months period of time in 1991, and it became Best Friends Animal Society, which is not a cult whatsoever, unless you call being awesome to animals cultish, which it's not really. They're great. They do good work and they're in general good people, complex people who are not interested necessarily in rehashing uh, the events of their past life in these cults. I am. I'm having a good time. So I'm glad you're here. Glad you've joined me again for this part three of this uh, multi-episode series about me having a big problem. Uh, There are no questions today, so that's helpful. Uh, Quick reminder, you are able to support this podcast any way you want, by listening, by binging, by telling your friends, your coworkers, your enemies, your family. Uh, Word of mouth is actually by far the most effective way to spread the word. 
about something you love and about something that really should be heard or listened to or consumed by others. Unless you have some enormous marketing plan and some enormous marketing dollars like the movie companies tend to have. I don't have anything like that. Uh, I work at a really good organization, a university, and I don't get paid a whole lot of money. Um, and it's not like we're destitute by any means, but you know, we're being careful with our money. And so I don't really spend, I'm not going to spend money marketing this. So please, you feel free to share, support this by talking about it. If you want to support it monetarily, there's a link you can click on to support this. Um, but if nothing else do share, uh, and thank you, gosh, I got to take a few seconds to really sincerely thank you for already sharing it. This last week has been Far and away the biggest week in Tales from Occult Insider's history. The number of listeners who have joined up is really staggering to me. Um, this, As of today, December already has more listens than November, and November had more than a half a thousand listeners. Uh, we, we're, it's, there's, there's some serious growth here. There was a lot of stumbling. I'm sorry. So I'm really pleased and excited, and boy, I hope I don't bore you. Today is um, not going to be rambly. I'm going to try to be quite pointed in the things that I say, uh, just to stay on track, and because there's kind of a lot to get through, and I don't think there's a reason to push it to a fourth episode on this subject of I had a big problem. Um, what you'll hear today is the kind of thing that I share um, in, in the talks and stuff that I give. The point of it is to try to focus on a few specific events and focus on lessons I learned, and um, because of the shortness of this episode, I'm not going to be able to, you know, wax funny. Maybe I will. Who knows? Have you ever laughed at this ep at this podcast? I, gosh, I should get you laughing more. I should start telling really bad jokes. Um, I tried to catch some fog, but I missed. Ah, uh, I like puns. Anyway, so, but this is the kind of thing that I talk about when I do give talks um, when I'm not training speakers. And so, you can reach out to me at jared at jaredgarrett.com. Find me on Twitter at Jared Garrett. Find me on Facebook at Jared Garrett Author. And so on. I'm happy to speak to your group. Let's get to it. No questions today. Again, here we go. Episode 16, I Had a Big Problem, Part 3. So to quickly summarize what was happening before, I got the crap beaten out of me. I had a big temper. Apparently, the per some people around me had a big temper and didn't know how to control it. At least I pulled my punches, Cyrus. Uh, and I uh, got really famous for having a giant explosive temper. And I was not a fan of that. I didn't like it, but I, but I didn't know how to stop. I was struggling to find um, the, the ability, the, the strength, the will to control my temper. I uh, got in a yelling match at... Um, at faith school in the building called Bowser. Bridget took me outside on the porch and we chatted some and I revealed to her that I had strong, strong ambitions to really become my best self, to be like a paladin, like I said in last episode. So yes, that was a pretty big turning point for me, verbalizing it. I verbalized that it bothered me to somebody who, at least for the moment, I trusted somewhat. Um, that was, that's a big thing. That's an important step in any kind of healing or any kind of progress, as it turns out, as we've learned, you know, from society and from the way people heal. As people in our lives heal or as we heal, we find that verbalizing, this is the problem I have. And 
verbalizing, and I really want to do better. Here's what I want to get to. Verbalizing an end goal and end state. That is critical to healing and to growth and to progress. Uh, in my case, it was very important because that's actually when I started turning, it th turning things around. But I found that I couldn't really turn things around on my own. But I also couldn't take to, it to other kids because the other kids wouldn't understand this desire, I thought. Now, that was probably an unjust thinking of me or thought of me. Surely, if I had opened myself up to some of the other kids, I would have had some supporters, some allies. When we overlook the possibility for allies in our journey, especially in, the, in these difficult journeys of uh, healing or progress where we're over, try, trying to overcome something deeply hurtful or some injury or some even behavior pattern, overlooking allies and cutting allies off from our lives is a mistake. And it's I've mentioned it before. It's one of the biggest mistakes I've made. Uh, I, ma I mentioned it in very clear terms in the memoir, uh, which I call, Hey Kid, There's Nothing Wrong With You. It, as it, my biggest mistake of my whole life, actually, was uh, was turning away from a specific ally. Um, but I didn't. I didn't feel like I had anywhere to go with this. I didn't feel like I had anybody I could turn to for help. And so I was in a library. That's right, a library. Um, not too long after talking with Bridget. And it was a library in downtown Dallas. It was the main branch of the big Dallas Public Library. And um, I saw books on Zen, Buddhism. And that was kind of cool. And I kind of flipped through some of them and they talked a lot about meditation and being at one with the universe and being at peace. That word jumped out to me, being at peace. Now, hopefully you're thinking of Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Kung Fu Panda 2, Inner Peace, where Poe has to learn to gain, to have inner peace. And then when he does, somehow he's able to sling uh, fireworky cannonballs back at the bad guys. Um, but the word peace jumped right out at me from those books in the library. And I thought, well, this is an interesting thought. And my religion that I was in, obviously, the cult, wasn't helping me. It was helping me uh, school my expression. And um, that was good, I guess. Especially when it comes to lying or trying to at least control a situation somewhat. But it wasn't helping me get to inner peace by any means. And so I recognized that. I recognized that I could ex you know, express some sort of peace or calm of some kind. Or at least a lack of dramatic emotion. But I, could, I wasn't feeling that. I felt in turmoil so often. I was feeling so much so often. And it just seemed like it was out of control. I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it threw me. And so these, these books that talked about gaining inner peace and gaining quiet in your thoughts and talked about meditation as a path to that, as a, as a practice for that, uh, were very attractive to me. And so I actually went to Half Price Books, which was just up from Eckerd, which is a drugstore there in, in Dallas. Um, and uh, it was just a bike ride a couple, a block, a block and a half up from Eckerd. Eckerd is where we got, you know, candy a lot of the time, <clears throat> which was in between it, the, between the, the, the half price, there was, excuse me, between the half price and the Eckerd, there was a, a natural food store, which is where we sometimes bought uh, frozen yogurt. Um, and a sarsaparilla root beer. And this is when we, you know, had a bit of allowance money spent or saved up and nobody cared where we were. So we would just get on our bikes and be gone for several hours. I mean, that was honestly some of the best stuff we could possibly do with our time. Uh, but anyway, went to Half Price Books and I found uh, a book called Zen for Beginners. 
Now, I think there may be multiple different versions of a book called Zen for Beginners. I wouldn't be surprised. This one had the fa a picture of, a, of an Asian man, um, I believe Japanese. The, the author was a Japanese person, uh, with a very serene expression on the front. And it was just Zen for Beginners. And so I bought this book for just a couple of dollars, and I used it. Now, again, I was in a religion right then, right? Um, but I didn't have any kind of devotion to it. I didn't feel like I needed to follow it. I certainly didn't feel like I needed to please anybody in it by any means. And so I, I sort of became a Buddhist. Now, that doesn't mean that I said that Buddha was God, because that's not the truth about Buddhism. But in Buddhism, you could be a Mormon Buddhist, honestly. You could be a, a Catholic Buddhist. You could be any kind of Buddhist. And I want to sort of become a little bit more of a Buddhist as a member of my church, the Mormon Church, which is called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I want to become a little bit more like that, actually. I'd like to become even more peaceful internally. Uh, and I can do that through meditation. Meditation won't replace prayer, of course. Prayer is critical for me, this conversation that I have with my Father in Heaven. So... Back to the Buddhism thing, I basically became a practicing Buddhist without the whole Buddha is my God because it never should have been that way. But Buddha was sort of my guide. And so I read this master's treatise essentially on Buddhism and how it would help me and how meditation would help me. And so lo and behold, I um, started meditating. Now I meditated a lot for a lot of years, for a long, long time. It became a, a big part of who I was. Um, I wouldn't do it in the mornings or in the evenings as a ritual. I would just do it when I felt like I needed to. And um, I became good enough at it that I could do it anytime. Uh, I've lost the practice a little bit, which is a regret I have. And so I, I have actually recently made a com commitment that I would, I would change that and um, become a little bit more, that's the word, Oh, deliberate about the meditation that I do, uh, because too often I do find my thoughts uh, flinging and flying everywhere. So I began to meditate, and that was really important for me, um, because it did start to quiet the internal turmoil, the disquiet that was always in my brain. Uh, I felt like I was gaining an internal control that really, really was powerful to me, very new to me a new skill, I began to develop this muscle called internal control um, and internal awareness. And that was really very powerful to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to express what that feels like, but it feels like calm. It feels like settled. It feels like not bumpy, not j shaky, not jittery, but it feels at peace. And that was really, that was important to me. Uh, surrounded by uh, adults who I essentially saw as enemies and who I never felt like I was comfortable around, having the ability to go take a minute and gain some inner calm was really important to me, to my overall mental and emotional health. And so what that also did was that during those quiet, thoughtful times where I was beginning to meditate and turn my thoughts inward and then releasing my thoughts, I had internal conversations, of course, a dialogue, you could say, an internal dialogue, not a monologue, because I was ask, asking and answering and talking to myself back and forth as if I were two or three or four different participants. Not that I have 
you know, disassociative disorder by any means. Um, but certainly I was having, you know, multiple different sides of conversations as I examined different things in my life. And of course, talking about, you know, examining different things of my life, one of those powerful, not good powerful, but big dramatic events was getting the living crap beat out of me by Cyrus, right? I had internal damage, uh, internal injuries, you could, you could even call them, from being beaten, from being so fully betrayed as a human being by an adult who should have been a protector. And on a level, I certainly knew that. I was very injured um, and very skittish in some ways, very many ways. And uh, that's not a good way to live one's life, especially if you want to um, be a healthy, productive person who isn't constantly dragged down by baggage. So meditation. Meditation for me consisted of finding a quiet place where I would not be uh, molested, not obviously sexually molested, like molestar in Spanish or Portuguese, uh, not be bothered. Oh, sorry, sometimes words just don't work. Um, where I wouldn't be bothered, right? Where I wouldn't be interrupted. And I would make sure I was comfortable. And I'm not going to coach you on meditation, but I'm going to tell you what it means, what I did. I would sit there in, a, in as comfortable a position as I could, try to keep my back straight. I would let things relax, but my back straight meant just kind of straight up and down, kind of the base of it anchored into the top of my pelvis area and then let my neck go loose and my shoulders go loose and everything would just kind of get calm and relaxed and my hands on my on my legs I wouldn't do the whole finger thing where you touch your middle finger to your thumb and say oh although I don't discount that as a very good um, meditation exercise I didn't do it I felt self-conscious every time I would like say maybe I should try it I never really did so and then I would just close my eyes and I would start noticing my thoughts and I would breathe in and out. A lot of people, may, when they meditate, they say, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. I did that. That's what the book taught me to do. And as I breathed out, I would visualize the thoughts that I was having leaving me. And sometimes as one left me, it would stop and get hung up and I'd have a quick conversation with myself about it. And then I'd let it go. And through doing that, I found that I could have a conversation with myself about my temper, about the world around me, about the cult, about the other kids I was growing up with, the boys, more often than the girls, of course, because I spent a little more time with the boys, but also some of the girls. And as I did this more and more, that there were other people in my life that I would have internal conversations about and other things that were going on in my life that I talked talk to myself about. But then I would let those thoughts go. And finally, after some time of that, breathing in and breathing out, and with each out breath, letting my thoughts go, I would find myself coming to. That was a long, long pause there. It's a three-second pause. Because that's how it really it was. Suddenly, a, an unaware period of time had passed, and I'd be coming to. It wouldn't be asleep. I would come back to myself. I would have been in a, in a place, mentally, where nothing was happening in my brain except for, you know, whatever keep the, keeps the lights on. And I uh, would come back from it from some external stimulus, I would guess, um, or something like that. And um, that was that. And so that worked for me, uh, especially those, those moments where I would come to after some period of time. I think the longest period of time might have been up to an hour. Uh, 
I was incredibly rejuvenated, incredibly refreshed after those. Not as if I'd slept, but as if I'd been just empty and calm and things internally in my brain and my soul and my heart had had a few moments, had those long moments in some cases, to just be free of what was weighing them down. And that gave me a refreshment, uh, not pastry or anything. Although I like donuts, I'm just saying. So that um, was very pleasant and it was a really good experience. And it really did, especially in those moments of breathe out or breathe in, here is a thought, breathe out, let, the, let, let it go. That was valuable to me to have those thoughts be let go just as I was going into this deep meditative type trance. And I think that that's one of the big things that I did that helped me start to set aside some of the painful things in my life. Some of the things that carried deep, heavy, uh, significant emotional baggage, getting beat up, um, having something terrible happen, which we haven't really talked about. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly get there, uh, probably in three or four more episodes. Um, just, we, I want to kind of, I don't want to drag you down too much in these episodes, uh, or one after the other, that's kind of hard or depressing. Um, yeah, it was a really important way for me to start to process, look at them, let them go. Now, there was also still plenty of other things to do. You can't just let things go and be done. Um, there's often more work that needs to be doing, we need to be doing. And uh, I, I will be the first and the last to say that's the case. And so there were other things I needed to do. Now, I stayed with the meditation for a long, long time. Even after I got out, I kept meditating. I got out of that cult and was a strong atheist um, and uh, very firm in my atheism and was a very uh, steady meditator. I meditated at least once a day in my room. Um, when I got a room after moving out from my dad's house. And that was uh, really important for me. But I wasn't fully healed. I was finding ways to let the baggage go, the heavy baggage. Um, but there were still memories. There was no forgetting. And sometimes the memories would start to drag again and start to drag again. And I would feel like it was leaving some kind of mark. And I felt like that mark was, was marring or getting in my way of my vision. Uh, like I couldn't see it was, it was blocking my view of who I could be and what I could do in, with my life sometimes. And it also seemed like sometimes it was dragging my abilities down because it was distracting. Um, it, it's interesting what trauma will do to you. It's not very nice guys. Trauma is, uh, well, it's a jerk folks, and it takes a lot of work to get over it, but it can be overcome. Meditation was a big part of that for me. Since I didn't have anywhere else to go, I went to myself deeply, 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 honestly into myself. That was helpful. However, that's not everything. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that I had to do on a paradigm level for myself in order to heal from um, being beat up and also uh, <clears throat> to start to gain a let's uh, let's say a direction and objectives and aims in life and that was um seeing my past for what it was and that was uh terrible um at times um and uh trying and injurious and also sometimes self-made right i mean i isolated myself more than a little I cut myself off more than a little. Being 
honest with myself as I grew older, as I got into the age 16 and 17, and then as I got out and uh, started a different phase of my life some years later, uh, I, I had to really start copying to and owning my part in my life. You know, yes, I was born in a cult. Socks. No, I didn't really have a mom to speak of beyond a couple of phone calls a year, and she liked me and loved me, but not enough to be a mom who I could treat as an actual mom. And I only know what that means because I've seen a mom, and that is my mother, or my wife, with our children, and it is inspiring, and it is humbling, and it makes me a little sad sometimes, just just in my most vain or grumpy moments or weak moments, I feel a little sad because I didn't have that. But I had no mother, and so that's all that terrible stuff, and my dad was somewhat there, but I didn't really understand that. And so I saw that as a, as a lack in my life and an injury in my life. And those, yes, so there are empirically terrible things that happened to me. But I, I brought some, some terrible things upon myself, too. And the terrible things was lack of connection and isolation and loneliness and this feeling that I was a loner and I was better off alone as if I were Batman or something like that. Uh, that is wrong. Uh, yes, we're all allowed to make mistakes. It was a mistake I made and I had to learn from it. Um, so another step after meditation and really getting to know myself and be building a muscle that helped me be honest with myself helped me lead me to this next mu mu muscle building, which was really be honest with myself, where I really start to say, hey, here's a thing that you did to yourself. This is a, something you did to yourself and you're still doing it today. You're still in a crowd and acting like you're alone. You're still not making the effort to connect with people. You're still even cutting yourself off from people. You're finding reasons to feel out of things, like you're not a fit, like you don't fit in. So now it's time to fix that stuff. Start to develop the skill. And luckily I was able to go and do some important experiences where my whole life for two years was to talk to people and to build connections with people and become a part of their lives and help find ways that I could help them in any aspect of their life and also to bring what I felt like was good news about new happiness in their life. It was a mission for my church. And then after that, I was immediately thrown into a world where I was teaching all the time, where I was building real connections and nurturing and coaching. And so that built that new skill for me of not isolating myself because by nature of my life and the choices I was making in my life, I was, I was absolutely making new connections with people and having those experiences and living next to people and sharing their lives in many ways. That was powerful to me. And I had girlfriends. And honestly, that really helped a lot. Learning how to listen and talk. And I still am no, no good at it, honestly. Terrible at listening still. I can get a lot better. And so that was another important step on my journey towards handling the baggage uh, and trying to find a way to have that baggage not be something I'm carrying around and it's slowing me down. And so the last step for me, aside from prayer and prayer and prayer and finding grace in this world and letting beauty fill me and crowd out my dark sometimes, and I'm going to talk about that for the last if I have time today, was to start seeing, to start seeing the baggage, the damage, not as something I'm forced to carry, but it's something I'm now taking up. It's no longer going to be the thing that's dragging me down. It's not going to be the swamp that grabs my feet, my friends. I decided I was going to turn it into my sword and my shield and my armor, my full body armor. 
I said, no more letting this pull my feet down. No more letting this drag my knees to the ground. No more of that, Jared. You don't wallow anymore. This is your weapon. The things you learned about reading people, about responding to people, about con controlling yourself in situations so that you can listen better, those are now your weapons and your armor for this life. Turn them into sword, shield, armor. Not so I can hurt people, but so I can cut through life's struggles. I'd had enough that I could learn from that I can now start cutting through the struggles of life with more facility. And guys, it freaking worked, man. I'm not saying life is easy, but I have these techniques and this knowledge that I can make it, man. I can do it. I can do it now. I know I can because of the stuff that I went through and because of the way I see it now. I, so I see that stuff as my, my sword. So when I say, freaking, this job sucks so bad. I want to die sometimes at this job. Obviously, that's an exaggeration. I don't want to die. But that having these strong negative emotions and having a very unpleasant experience where one of my jobs not too long ago, not at this job or the previous one, but one before, it felt like nobody ever seemed to notice all the great kick butt stuff I was doing, right? It felt really demoralizing. I felt so completely overlooked at that com company. Guys, I spent my whole life feeling overlooked, but guess what? I know how to overcome that now. I talk to my wife and I talk to the people around me and I try to make stronger connections and I say, yeah, because I know how to overcome the feeling overlooked. I start seeing people better. I'm going to start seeing people better. And so I do. I'm going to thank the Arbinger Institute for that, by the way. The Anatomy of Peace is a book that I recommend from the Arbinger Institute. Now, I turned the crummy junk into weapons. I beat my swamp, my beatings, my neglect, my feelings of isolation, not into plowshares, but into a sword, a sharp one that I use liberally to say, hey, this job is not your favorite. You can get through this and you can be victorious by making better connections, by listening to people better, and by doing better as a human being. Last, I referred to this earlier, I continually make a, a, a deliberate um, point of seeing beauty, recognizing that beauty, and letting that beauty fill me. If the beauty is the incredible mountains that I'm surrounded with, I'm taking pictures of it and sharing them. If it's a sunset, if it's the most recent wonderful, cool, super blood wolf moon or whatever, whatever, man, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to soak it up. If it's music, I'm going to soak it up. If it's sculpture like Canova's uh, Three Graces, I'm going to soak it up and I am going to cry about it. I'm going to let beauty fill me as much as possible because sometimes there is dark and sometimes there is sad and I recognize it and I'm not going to say I don't have it, but I'm going to let the beauty fill me. I'm going to let the joy fill me. It's a deliberate choice. It's not saying I'm not sad. It's not saying I don't have difficult moments. It's saying I recognize you. I don't let you control me. I let this fill me so that I can control my own life. So I make my own choices. I am an agent unto myself. And so I'm not healed fully. Probably never will be. Although I have dis uh, d distinct hope that I will be healed fully from the life that I had. It wasn't all bad. It was only somewhat bad. And on a few levels, it was all bad about the whole family thing, because I do believe families are necessary for life, especially for kids, but also for adults. Adults should know what it's like to be parents. If you can't be, I'm sorry. I'm sure that, uh, you know what? I'm sorry if I offend. I don't mean to offend. Um, 
And I know that what I just said is a blanket statement that doesn't apply to all. And there you go. So that's all I have to say for you tonight. Um, all those things were important to me in my growth, in my journey towards healing, towards peace, inner peace. And sometimes when life is just crazy fast and crazy nonstop, like today has been, you know what? I, I need to do better. I need to remember to use my past as armor and sword and say, Jared, you're feeling frazzled. Meditate. Jared, you're feeling unmotivated at work. Stop. Meditate. Calm yourself. Let some things go. And now go to work. And so that's what I say to you. If you're feeling frazzled, if you're feeling like things are out of control, take a minute and just control the most basic thing that you do. Breathing. Control your breath in and out, in and out. As you breathe out, let a few things go. Or one thing go at a time. And that's it. This has been a long episode. That's it though, for I had a big problem. My temper. I still have a temper. I'm still learning to do better with it. But I tell you what, even though it's still not great, <laughs> I used to be like a hundred times worse. So I'm calling it uh, an ongoing improving victory. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tales from a Cult Insider. Uh, hashtag it in your Instagram. Hashtag it in your Twitter as Tales from a Cult Insider or on Facebook. Thanks, guys. I'll see you again for episode 17. By the way, it's called A Corner, 5,000 Lines, and All Points in Between. Thanks, guys. See you next time.